Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller. It is Friday, June 5th. On this episode, we are going to discuss some experimental ways to play fantasy baseball this season. Not because it's the most important thing we could talk about, but we know there are a lot of other places to uh, know what's going on in the world and to reflect on that and to hear commentary about that. So, you know, our our step towards talking about this is not an indication that that doesn't matter, that it's not important. That's very important. We're just at a point where we're saying, you know, if you are thinking about fantasy baseball this season, if you're thinking about the conflict between the players um, and the owners in Major League Baseball and the reality of a very shortened, maybe even a 50-game season, and you still want to play fantasy baseball this year, you know, what is that going to look like? So we'll break down a few different ideas for how you could do that. Beller, how's it going for you on this Friday? It's going all right, and if we're going to be talking fantasy baseball, I'm happy that we're doing something like this because I, I can't talk anymore about you know, how much I like Ketel Marte or why I think Chris Bryant has been undervalued during this interminable draft season that we've had here in 2020. Uh, we've, we've beat those topics to death, so at least let's help people figure out what they might be able to do with their fantasy leagues this year. It's a discussion that my home league is having right now. We pushed off our auction back uh, in March when everything went on hiatus, and now we're talking about what we might do. If it's a 50-game season, if it's an 82-game season, if it's something in between, uh, we're thinking about what we're going to do with this league that's actually a keeper league too. So uh, I think it's a good discussion. It's probably one that a lot of people are having. And you know, just like we've been talking about this being an opportunity for Major League Baseball to experiment with some things, could be an opportunity for us to experiment with some things in the fantasy world. And you know, if it's just one year and we move back to the regular uh, construction of things next year, so be it. But maybe some of these things will stick for the future. Yeah, I think that's that's a good way to put it. I, that's what I've been hoping for. You know, back when when baseball was put on pause back in March, when we knew at that time that this season was going to be shorter, we didn't know how much shorter it was going to be, if we even have a season at all. I thought this is the season where Major League Baseball should try and do some fun things. Um, you know, add playoff teams, mic up players in the field. Uh, if you can't cover the game in traditional ways, you know, maybe find a way to put GoPros on some players and just try and make the game more accessible than it's ever been before. Um, imagine the disappointment as I continue to watch how <laughs> the owners conduct themselves in these negotiations, at least on the public side. I mean, it's just... It's extremely frustrating uh, in a vacuum, and even more so given everything that's happening around us right now. But there, this firm stance, this firm belief, or this this at least idea that they make they make well they they lose less money by not having a season than by having any season at all. Like that's sort of the the guiding principle behind why they're proposing a shorter season. Now, of course, in the previous agreement that the owners and players reached, players agreed to take a prorated salary based on the number of games actually played. So it's easy to see that a 50-game season in terms of player salaries cost the owners a lot less than, say, a 114-game season. So that's you know part of where that comes from as well. Uh, but even if you consider what Evan Drellick was talking about on the Keith Law show earlier this week, if owners claim that 40% of their revenue is gate-related revenue, that still leaves 60%. And I think it's also dismissing what I think we can all estimate would be increased ad revenue over the course of a season where interest, when there's been a lot less 
entertainment-wise going on, that would be up. Uh, so it's it's just a really difficult principle to understand, especially when the books are closed, right? They're, they're not open to people on the outside. They're not open to journalists. They're not even fully open to the players, to our knowledge. So uh, it, it just leaves us in this spot where now we're sitting here and saying, if we are going to play fantasy baseball this season, a 50-game season is a reality in some sense, because if they can't work out an agreement, Commissioner Rob Manfred can impose the schedule. He can do that. He can make the 50-game season. He can make the final call if they don't come to an agreement. I just I don't get it. I feel like if this ends up being the case, if this really ends up being a 50-game season or now we're hearing 48-game season the owners want, like we're going to have to change the cutting off your nose to spite your, fra- to spite your face phrase. We're going to have to make that like pulling an MLB in 2020 because yeah. that is just the textbook definition of of what is going on here and it's really disheartening to watch and uh like it's like a slow moving car crash in real time that we've been watching this whole time we keep thinking that they're gonna come back to reality and they're just all posturing and this is just negotiation and it's ugly to watch uh it's why we don't want to see the sausage being made but ultimately the sausage is going to be made and it's going to be delicious uh and now i'm not so confident in that um but i do think that we can maybe figure out some fun ways to to play fantasy baseball which could be a little bit of a, of a solace that we can take from this season. Yeah, I kept thinking about head-to-head leagues recently. I was on the In This League Fantasy Baseball podcast with uh, Scott Bogman and Chris Welsh, and uh, Steve Gardner was there as well. So it was a nice uh, two-guest, uh, two-host, just a great time earlier this week. So be sure to check that out. Uh, but I... I was thinking about head-to-head leagues a little bit more because I don't play in that format. But if you play in a weekly head-to-head league and we have a 50-game season, that's about, a, doing the math in my head quick, eight, nine-week season. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's half of a fantasy football season. We can't even, <laughs> we, we don't even feel great about how we determine which teams get into the fantasy football playoffs with 13 or 14 weeks to do that. So you'd have to make some pretty big changes if you're playing in a weekly head-to-head league. And what I suggested on that show, and I, I still think this is probably at least the best idea that I have for a head-to-head modification would be to add in the all-play wrinkle. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with the all-play setup, it's a head-to-head league where, let's just say there's 10 teams in the league, you play the other nine teams every single week. So in the scenario where you are the highest-scoring team of the week, you would go 9-0 and because you won each of your nine matchups. And you could still do it, categorically speaking. You could play out each matchup that way. And at least you're still playing a head-to-head format. I think people who play head-to-head probably don't want to play regular rotisserie for a reason. And it it's a step in that direction without completely moving away from the format that your league has you know agreed upon and has been playing for a lot of years in some cases. Yeah, that's, uh, so my home league that I referenced is a head-to-head league. And that's one thing that we've talked about is doing an all play or doing double headers every single week where you would play two people instead of just one person. And I think it's a good way to keep head to head. I actually am a little bit of a head to head zealot. I really just enjoy the head to head format. I understand that uh, rotisserie more often than head to head brings the best teams in the league to the top of the standings. It more often reflects the ultimate teams getting that championship or being in the top three, something along those lines. But I love the head-to-head element of sports. I mean, it's really the heart, the lifeblood of sports. And so I like that in fantasy as well. I think that's a fun way to do it. I also think that leagues can explore a hybrid head-to-head 
rotisserie format. And this is pretty easy to do. I mean, if we're talking about actually putting this into practice, most of your big commissioner services, Yahoo, CBS, ESPN, no matter what they are, even if you are playing a head-to-head league, excuse me, they'll show you your full-on team stats. So even if they're not figuring out the rotisserie standings for you, you can very easily check out those team stats and figure out the roto standings for yourself. So you can kick around an idea where you're still playing head-to-head and you're still playing head-to-head all players, you're still playing head-to-head against two or three people in a week, but then you also have your rotisserie standings and you bring those together. And the way that we've been talking about it in my home league would be that we take the head-to-head where your standing is, take the rotisserie, where your standing is, combine them, let that combined champion be a champion, or you combine them and then set up a head-to-head playoff format from there. Obviously, we're still kicking it around, but it could be a fun way and a different way, expose a little bit of rotisserie, get these two different types of leagues blended together, and make something out of what's going to be a very bizarre season if we get one. Yeah, so I mean, I think... You could apply the same principles uh, to head-to-head formats no matter what the season length is, right? 50 versus 82, those concepts can be adapted mm-hmm. that we just talked about, kind of regardless of, of where things might go. If you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving with their personal trimmer. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. Their waterproof, cordless body trimmer makes it safe and easy. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code the athletic and for a limited time subscribers get not one but two free gifts a travel bag a $39 value and the patented high performance manscaped boxer briefs so go to manscaped.com today and use the code the athletic um, i think the other hanging question just as it pertains to the the short season it's a lot of strategy adjustments like how do you change your valuations of players in a half season that's been kind of the fabric of a lot of the conversations that we've had on this show for the better part of almost three months now. And, you know, I think the the thing that I'm glued to, of course, is that innings capped pitchers, young pitchers, or guys who had injuries who were going to come back and they were not going to be even close to reaching 180 or 200 innings. Those guys are now on a level playing field with the pitchers who could do that. Um, so it takes away some of the volume advantage for veteran pitchers and some of the aces. At the same time, I don't think we want to completely just write off how pitchers might be used in games and how that might be different because there have been a lot of reports suggesting that rosters will be bigger. If you have bigger rosters, you can take a lot of pitchers who might be good young starters. I think this would even potentially apply to a Jesus Lazardo or a Julio Urias. I mean, guys that are definitely on a more level playing field and are more valuable in a short season than they were in a long season. They might not get the same treatment in-game from their respective teams that the veteran starters are going to get. So while the physical ability to match innings is gone, how they're managed might not be... Uh, that, that might be the new restriction. Um, so an example, again, with Urias, I mean, think about the Dodgers pitching depth. 
if the Dodgers have any concerns about Julio Arias getting to the lineup a third time effectively, they've got a, a bullpen that has three or four big league caliber starters in it, potentially, with expanded rosters. I mean, Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May, Ross Stripling. You know, those, those guys would start for just about any other team in the league, and they're on the outside looking in at rotation spots. So I think we could make an argument that Urias doesn't necessarily have the in-game path to maximum innings and batters face the same way that ace pitchers do. Not that anyone's making an argument to the contrary. I just think it's something that might be a little bit lost in the discussion. Like the, the playing field for the season is level, but I still wouldn't expect the outcomes innings wise to end up being equal for those young starters and mid-tier starters who had some injuries in the past compared to uh, their healthy ace counterparts. I agree with you completely, and I think it's exacerbated the shorter the season is, right? Like, let's say it ends up being something in the neighborhood of 50 games. How are you even going to, like, ramp up your pitchers to pitch a 50-game season? Are you even going to want to put their strain through that, your their arm through that sort of strain where they've been working out, of course, but, you know, there's a big difference between working out and between, you know, being with your team and how many innings you would have thrown to this point in a normal season – um, and then to, to have them go from that you know, sort of stagnant working out to getting ready just for a 50-game season, I could see teams taking it very easy on some of these young guys and just almost treating this like, uh, like a gap year, like a, right? like a kid uh, taking a year off in between high school and college uh, because this is just – it just seems like there a lot of things could go wrong if you suddenly try to gear up those arms for what is going to be a sprint of a season. So I think that's something else to think about. And it's part of the reason why when it comes to these strategy adjustments, if it's not obvious, it's something that I've been generally ignoring because I think that we are putting a little bit too much weight onto what we can figure out in an 82 game season, in a 50 game season. We love looking at these things from this big view and saying, you know, if this, then that. And I just don't think that we can make the if-then connections in this sort of season the way that we can in other seasons. So the big ones, the big takeaways, the one you mentioned uh, with the with the innings pitched a threshold being smoothed out and the guys who are going to have innings caps, the guys who are coming back from injury, give them a little bit of a boost. Guys who get a lot of what they do from volume, maybe bring them down a little bit because volume, it's just not going to be there for anyone this season. Other than that, I think we just have to embrace the fact that this is going to be a bizarre year, that baseball in itself is a very up-and-down game, that we have this 162-game season for a reason, because the game needs all of those games to be smoothed out, to smooth out the curve, to smooth out the rough edges. And without having that ability, there's going to be some very bizarre things happening, some freaky things over whatever the season is, even if it does end up being closer to the 82 games that the players want to see at this point in the negotiations. So I'm trying not to put too much weight into thinking I can you know, find the skeleton key and the magic formula for making this season uh, the one where you know my teams are going to elevate over everyone else because I figured out this this you know magic potion uh, with there being only 50, 60, 80 games, whatever it might be. I think you could find statistical evidence to employ a certain strategy only to have it get completely washed away Definitely. by the variance of a 50 game season. Uh, so if you if you have the statistical chops to 
come up with the optimal strategy, absolutely use it. But you know, I think where you go from there is say, how confident are you in in things going the way you project them to go in such a short season? And the more hands-on sort of question that you know Sarah asked me on on rates and barrels yesterday. Uh, he, he put it in the form of percentage, which is more more appropriate than uh, dollars, I think, in this case. But whatever you were willing to spend as a max entry fee for a full 162, like that that numbers, let's say that's 100 percent of what you're you're going to spend. What percentage of that are you willing to spend now on a 50 game season for leagues that you haven't signed up for yet? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe like 20 percent, 50 percent. I guess it would depend on. The, how much fun I project to have, right? Because I mean, that's how that's how I always think of it. Is like, yeah, you know, I'm not assuming I'm getting into these leagues to win. I'm getting into these leagues because I love baseball and I love fantasy, and it's another great way to engage with the sport. And so it's you know entertainment spending. And if I win, awesome. And if I don't, then I spent whatever I spent for an extra way to enjoy the baseball season. Uh, so it really depends on that more than anything um, for me personally. And uh, I think what you said at the start of that is uh, is a good nugget to think about about that you could come up with statistical models that support your strategy going into auctions um, going into drafts uh, if you still have any of them ahead of you but the big thing is I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of people trying to to do that and they're saying you know just to, to use a you know one example I'm just pulling off the top of my head you know uh, pitchers are you know less affected over the first 50 games of a season than hitters but you know what you don't you never know what 50 game sample you're going to get is it the first 50 is it the last 50 is it you know game 11 through 60 like any 50 game sample is liable to show up for any player and that's why I think you just can't put too much weight into what we've seen you know over the long history of Major League Baseball and if you want to focus it down into the more recent era like there's no rhyme or reason to what 50 games are going to show up for a player like I don't think you can just say the first 50 games of a season because the, like this is way different this is they, they haven't gone through spring training right they haven't had spring training leading right into a season they're not playing in you know, cold weather and then if you want to pull the middle 50 games or the last 50 games because that's the weather they're going to be playing in well they haven't had those first 100 games leading up to that spot like there's no way to say it's going to be this 50 games for sure so I think all of those models are built on that are you know, nice and fun to think about, but they don't really carry any strategic weight going into the season. Yeah, and I, I think there was a really good thread from uh, Phil DeSalt, a good NFBC player, at Phil DeSalt 27, if you want to check out the thread in its entirety. Um, one of the things that kind of happened in the comments after the thread, he wrote, I'd be worried about drafting any big money leagues in the first two weeks of the ramp up, though, because I do expect some starters to go down. Yeah. I think... The injury risk, and we talked to Virginia Zakis from Inside Injuries on last Friday's episode, so if you've been uh, listening to fewer shows, and understandably so, um, you want to go back and just kind of get some really good insight as to where the risk lies with players who had some injuries back in March. Uh, that's a great episode to go back to. I do share Phil's concern that we just don't know. I mean, pitchers have been throwing on their own. We, we've seen stories on The Athletic. Uh, some pitchers are playing catch with their girlfriends and their spouses. Uh, some are lucky enough to have someone they can throw with nearby. I mean, it, it's it's a mixed bag. And I, I think depending on how the ramp-up is handled, there's a chance that it's a somewhat seamless transition from a health perspective. But 
I think it's more likely than not that there's at least a slight increase in injuries in 2020 based on the unusual shape of players ramping up to begin playing. And I, that was sort of what I was getting at earlier, and I don't think I said it quite uh, so clearly, and you just crystallized it for me a little bit there. So let's say that we are assuming that, that there is going to be this bizarre ramping up period and there could be a heightened risk of injury. Are teams and players really going to want to risk this you know, one-off asterisk 2020 season, or are they going to want to want to risk 2021 for this one-off asterisk 2020 season? Right? Like if you're a guy who's coming into the year with some sort of injury history and you're going to get ready for a 60-game season. Are you really going to build your arm strength up in two and a half weeks for a 60-game season and compromise a normal 2021 season? If you are the Oakland A's, are you really going to ask Jesus Lizardo to use two and a half weeks to get ready for a 60-game season when he is you know, one of the cornerstones of the future of your franchise? Like, I just think that there's going to be a lot of risk tied up in guys like that, and you can't blame the players or the teams if they want to Take it easy. I mean, this season, you know, for all intents and purposes, is almost out the window. Um, and I, I, I think it was, I, was, I think it was uh, C. Trent Rosecrans who covers the Reds for us who wrote a story about how this season is going to be perceived by history. And there's an argument that the asterisk is going to be there, and it's going to be there in some way. There's also the argument, I think Joey Votto made it in that column, that this could be a more important season because of, you know, the way that America has lived for the last three months and how badly people want to see baseball. And if you can be the team that brings a World Series, even over an 80 or 60 regular game regular season to your city, just the catharsis and the, the joy that your city will feel if you do that um, makes this even more important. And I understand both sides of the argument, but if you're looking at it from a standpoint of 2021 and beyond, I think most teams, most players, you know, guys' situations are going to differ, but most teams, most players are going to want to protect 2021 and beyond rather than making this short sprint for a 2020 championship. And that's something we have to think about always in the fantasy world, that teams don't care about what we care about in fantasy. They care about winning real-life championships, and that's going to be in their mind for sure. I think it's something that they need to think very carefully about, and they probably have with young players. Lizardo's a good example. I would say even the Detroit Tigers, like they're – their future as an organization hinges on the health and development of Casey Mize and Matt Manning and Tarek Skubal and Alex Fajardo. I mean, that's the that's the key to the Tigers getting out of the cellar in the AL Central and eventually becoming contenders again is that those guys generally stay healthy and become as good as possible and, and become big contributors. Um, all around the league, you, you have teams that are going to have to solve this because the minor league season while it has not been canceled as of today, June 5th, it seems like that's going to happen soon. Mm-hmm. And how minor leaguers are developed might be in the form of a taxi squad. It might be in the form of multiple fall leagues in Arizona and Florida. A lot of questions are still to be answered there. Uh, but just thinking back to our leagues and, and how we handle entry fees... There are some leagues that drafted before things stopped. Keeper leagues, redraft leagues, all different types. Money's already been spent. Those leagues were drafted prior to us having a a clear understanding of of COVID-19 and the magnitude of how long sports would be on hold. Is it even at this point, is it 
right to play it out with those rosters and hold those entry fees and pay it out the way you were planning? Is it better to refund all the money to the owners? Do you, as a commissioner, do you take a poll and say, hey, you know, everybody here invested 50 bucks in this team. Um, if you want your money back, you know, you can have your money back. If you don't, let's donate it. Uh, we'll do smaller prizes. I mean, everybody's in a different situation, understandably so, but uh, I think for teams that already drafted, there's a question of, do we redo it? Do we do we take the time to get everyone together again? Do people want to still do this? Are people in a position where they can still afford to play? And at the higher end entry fees, I realize that's a, a little bit of a, a, like a bigger question at maybe $10, $20, smaller stakes. Maybe it doesn't make a difference for most people. I, I don't know. But it's a question to think about nonetheless. And I know this happened in fantasy basketball and fantasy hockey, you know, there was a point in April where commissioners were saying, do I just pay out as though everything's finalized right now? Do I change the payout structure to reward any team that would have made the playoffs? Um, it, it's Especially with friends, it's never really comfortable to talk about money. Uh, but how do you handle entry fees that have already been paid? And how do you handle teams that have already been drafted that were drafted focusing on what would have been a normal season? The good thing here is that there's no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer. There's no right answer. Uh, but I think you need to take the temperature of your league. Um, you know, most people, most people listening to this probably play in leagues with friends. They're not playing in NFBC or NFFC, anything like that. So they're not having to wrangle a bunch of strangers or anything along those lines. So I think you just open the dialogue. I think the, the part you said about just, you know, the commission putting it out to a poll of the league, what does everyone want to do? And, you know, try to make it as equitable as possible. No one wants to get into a mudslinging fight over a fantasy league. $10, $300, whatever the entry fee might be. No one wants to deal with that. Um, I can just tell you from my personal experience, uh, my fantasy basketball league, we just refunded everyone's money, even with where we were at. And Man, I had Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic. That was a really good team. That was looking really good heading into the playoffs. But, you know, whatever. Who cares? Rather, rather just make everyone happy and, you know, no one's winning life-changing money anyways. So let's move on and tackle the bigger things that are a question here. My fantasy baseball league, my home league, um, we're going to significantly reduce the entry fee uh, if there is a season for this year. And we're going to give half to the winner or half to you know payouts and half we're going to you know figure out a charity to donate it to. Um, you just have to open up the dialogue. There's no wrong way to go. There's no definite right way to go. The only bad thing you could do is force a decision on people who don't want a decision forced on them. So that's what I would say. I would say just open it up, talk about it with your league mates, and uh, you know just be honest and forthright and transparent. Yeah, I think that's the the main thing. And I, I've run a keeper league. You played in it before. Uh, it's it's one of those leagues where you know there are contracts, and uh, we have a few years before you have to extend players. Keeper leagues in particular, I think, are the most tricky to figure out because if you drafted already, people were drafting as though you know someone like Chris Sale was going to be hurt all season. So somebody may have drafted Chris Sale for twelve or fifteen dollars, right? We know Chris Sale, if he were completely healthy, would be a forty or fifty dollar pitcher in most leagues, depending on inflation. And do you say, well, you know what, we're going to undo the auction and refund the entry fees, or do you say? We're going to hold the players, and if you invested in the future, you know, so be it. Because there were teams that were rebuilding. There were teams that were playing for this year. Like Everybody approached it as a different problem back in early March, and then everybody's situation completely changed. So, I mean, I think those are, those are the leagues that have the most questions to answer. And again, they're trivial compared to everything else going on, but uh, I think... 
the main thing you said that's important is take the temperature of your league. Like, start the dialogue. If you don't have a consensus, my advice would be to just give people their money back. That's the easiest yes. ultimate solution, right? If you, if you don't have an agreement across your league that's consistent, give everybody their money back. Um, I would say maybe un, for a default move in keeper leagues, I'm not I'm not convinced there's an obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, for the for the reasons I mentioned, I'm not sure taking back the players that were drafted or auctioned this spring is necessarily the right thing to do. I'm not sure that rolling contracts ahead of year is inherently the right thing, mm-hmm. or that freezing contracts is inherently the right thing. Like there's there's no perfect solution for this. So uh, in that case, again, take the league's temperature and think about it, and just decide what's best. Hopefully. It, ordinarily, in in normal times, as as I call them, these are the kinds of things that people would get really angry about. I don't think the tone of most people is going to be angry at all in in these circumstances. I think people are going to be a lot more understanding now than they ever would have been about changing rules, sending payouts back, different things like that. I agree with you completely. And you know, it's funny. I actually have been thinking about this. Uh, changing of rules and figuring out new ways to play for a 2020 season and beyond because the home league that I keep referencing, I hope it's not you know grading on you, my home league, my home league, right? But I think it's good to have an illustration of what someone is actually doing as you're thinking about your own leagues out there. Um, I don't know if you remember this DVR, but years ago, I asked you how I had a vague idea of how you ran this one really cool auction keeper league, and I asked you for the rules. And my home league, we just copy and pasted those rules. So I mean, we have the exact same rules <laughs> that that you use in the uh, in some of your leagues. Um, and that's a discussion we're having. Do we freeze contracts? Do we let people move contracts along? They want to move along. Do we say you can freeze three contracts and everyone else advances as though the 2020 mm-hmm. season um, were normal, or the reverse of that? Does do you say um, I want to? Uh, it, it advance these three and we freeze the rest, right? I mean, we've been having a lot of different discussions and we still are having those discussions. It goes to your point of there's, you know, really no perfect answer in a keeper league and you're just going to have to talk with your league about it. But if you still want to have a league this year, you know, I think there are ways that you can maybe even put the keeper construct aside and just say, we'll pick back up in 2021. Let's do something just for this year, which is another idea that we're talking about. And I'm going to steal from you again um, to bring us back to the discussion where we started. Um, This was probably 15 years ago. I think it was when you and I were both still undergrads at Wisconsin, uh, interning at RotoWire. And you proposed the idea of a 20-person league where 10 people play AL only and 10 people play NL only. And then those, you know, the NL only champion and AL only champion meet in a World Series and I think that would be really fun to do this year uh, if you take the three divisions that we're going to have. You know, most people play in 12 or 15 team leagues, so that's very easy. You take one third of your league and put them in the West, one third in the Central, one third in the East, and then have maybe, if it's a, the 12 team league, maybe six people make the playoffs. You have the division winners, and then the three best teams get to be wild cards, and they play some sort of head-to-head playoff format. If you want to just be inclusive, you can say, forget about it, all 12 of us will make the playoffs, we'll just use the regular season as seeding uh, for the playoffs. Um, I just think it's a, a, it would be a fun, way different way, and that's the point, right? Like, if it's going to be this weird season, which it's going to be, let's do something different, right? Let's not try to replicate the fantasy baseball game we love over in 
late March through September season and try to force it into this, you know, July through September box that we're going to be in. Like, forget about that because it's just not going to be the same. So if it's already not going to be the same, if we already have that starting point, then let's do something totally different, have a little bit of fun with it, make it this one-off year, and we'll go back to what we do next year. I think it's a, a fun way to think about it and a fun way to do it, and it's something that I'm going to be pushing for in leagues that I still have remaining. Yeah, I mean, I, I do vaguely remember talking about that format and being completely crazy. Now I'm thinking, hey, let's make it a 30-team league. Let's just go <laughs> Let's go like the Triple Crown and do 15-team AL only and 15-team NL only and play it out that way. Which and, and again, that's if you have that many people who want to play. Like that's yeah. um, If you had 15 people who wanted to play, I guess you could do AL and NL and everybody does both and just see if, how you do. I mean, you could combine things that way. I'm really into the mega league concepts. I think anything that reduces variance is uh, is good, and that's why a shortened season is uh, such a, a tough pill to swallow. But I'll take a shortened season over no season any day because I, I miss it. Like I, I miss baseball, and it's funny that you get to the point in the season. I don't know if you've, you've been to this spot before. Usually, it's around late August. Fab on Sundays, like doing your pickups. It, for me, it takes a couple of hours to go through and, and get through every free agent list, structure the bids, make sure that contingencies are all set up. It's probably a solid like two minute or two minute, two hour minimum <laughs> on any given week, and it can take as much as like four hours for a for a busier week like a Fabapalooza. And this comes from someone who doesn't even play in as many leagues as some of my friends who probably spend an entire day on Sunday. Um, I miss having that grind. Like I miss having that that challenge of sitting down and finding players who nobody else wanted, who I didn't previously want, and figuring out you know which ways I can improve my team the most. Um, but yeah, I, I just think I keep thinking too. Like alternative formats. I played in a home run derby league last year. I think Nando put it together, and the rule. What, what do we have for a rule? I think we had a budget. And each player's cost was his t- previous season's home run total. Uh, so oh, you, you, know, cool. you paid more for guys that hit that hit a bunch. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, the cap was like around a like a one fifty cap. And uh, what happened was we had about a dozen people who did this. There were some sort of obvious plays that everybody wanted. So there was a lot of overlap in the lineups. Cause I think we yeah seven players each. Chris Bryant was coming off of a, an injury plague season. Aaron mm. Judge was too, so they were really popular. Like it, it almost didn't matter. Everyone was just canceling each other out on those players. But where you differed was pretty fun. So that was that was an easy format too. It didn't require a lot of time. Uh, all it required to track was a, a Google sheet where you could just dump in a FanGraphs leaderboard every day or every week whenever you wanted to update it. So uh, there's definitely simple formats you could play. I think back to uh, a couple seasons ago, Ron Chandler had a site called Chandler Park, and he released a monthly salary cap game. So you'd play a four-week season. You'd have weekly lineup changes, and every player had a salary at the beginning of the month. So you'd, you'd have time to sit down, take anybody you wanted. You could make a couple of moves. I want to say it was like four or five moves over the course of the month uh, as far as like ads and drops go. But you still just stay under the cap. Uh, I, I liked that format a lot, and I, w- I wished it was more popular because I would have kept playing it. I mean, you could run a couple of leagues like that. You could run two months or three months where you run four-week sprints like that, and you, then, then you're looking at schedule analysis. 
Uh, you're looking at different things that are still similar to a long season, but then you get to replicate the process of roster building a few more times. So that might be another consideration as well, setting up multiple drafts and playing out the season in two or three segments. Yeah, that's funny. You know, I actually played in that. That was a that was an experimental Top Wars League one year, that the Chandler Park. Um, oh, nice. I think it was only one year, and it was my first year in Top Wars, and I was in that league, and I had a lot of fun with it too. And that was something that I was thinking about also that you could do these, you know, ever changing um, uh, teams and leagues, and right because that I mean that's something that's fun too, right? I mean that you know, ever then you know three people maybe get an opportunity to have Mike Trout on their team in a year instead of just one person getting him all season and it's another thing that you could do and I think a lot of these things is important you know you referenced uh, depends on how many people you can get together well a lot of these things are adaptable to any number of people you can get together let's say you can only get three people for a league you can take what I said earlier about the division by division format and one person gets the west one person gets the central one person gets the east and you know make whatever team you want to make out of those players like there's no wrong way to play fantasy baseball this year. And I think that's a very important thing to think about. Like whatever harebrained idea you've had in the past, give it a shot this year and have some fun with it and just uh, keep it rolling. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Uh, is there anything else that's really crossed your mind about this uh, likely significantly shortened season? I think we've touched on a few different areas along the way. Hopefully it's been helpful. I just want to see baseball, man. I hope these guys don't blow it. Um, you know, they're still... There's still, I think, you know, as, as optimistic as people are getting about NHL and NBA, obviously, um, about NFL and college football starting on time. I mean, what, it was just two days ago that Florida, where the NBA is supposed to be playing its entire finished season, announced a new daily high for COVID cases. So I mm-hmm. think there's still a lot to be worried about uh, with that respect. But, you know, assuming that these are things are going to happen – yeah, NBA's looking good, NHL's looking good, NFL, college football look like they're going to start on time. Yeah, Major League Baseball can't let this moment get away because they're going to look really bad. And you know, you and I are the same age, we're 35 years old. You know, how many of your friends are as big a baseball fans as you? I bet you can probably count the amount on one hand. And if you think about the generation behind us, you know, people who are 10, 15 years younger than us, how many of them put baseball in their top two sports, if the baseball even registers to them, especially people who don't play or didn't play baseball so it's a it's a big moment for the sport and it's a sport that you and I and a whole lot of people love and I really don't want to see them like I said earlier cut off their nose to spite their face because this could really get bad for the sport going forward so I just hope whatever it is we are able to play fantasy baseball in some way shape or form this year yeah well said I I just think all along in this posturing especially the owners seem to have this arrogant belief that they can't kill the golden goose so to speak and they absolutely can they can ruin this game the the long-term impacts of their uh, short-sighted and and very cheap approach to what they're doing right now uh, I don't think they're considering that at all and it will it will hurt them on their bottom line it will hurt the value of their franchises it will absolutely make an impact on on them even though they don't seem to think that it will Uh, But like you, I'm really hoping they can find some way to uh, work it all out. That'll do it for today's episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash fantasybaseballpodcast. For Michael Beller, I'm Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns next week. Have a great weekend. 
Thank you.